Evidently, the mic works. <laughs> you know, in the Old Testament, what's that? Oh, <laughs> Mike works, but he doesn't work for his salvation. But he works because of his salvation. <laughs> that kind of fit in with our message, right? In the Old Testament, we have the preparation of Christ. In the New Testament, we actually have the presentation of Christ. And so we present Christ out of the book of Galatians by going back and look at the preparation of Christ as um, we see Paul actually arguing that the Old Testament is progressive from the time of the promises to Abraham, remember those, through the law of Moses all the way up to the time of Messiah, which is where things came into fruition and actually fulfillment. So the grace promises that were given to Abraham, those promises that were made on an unconditional basis, no matter what, on an unconditional basis in that unconditional covenant, are still valid today. And they weren't superseded by the law of Moses. And that's really the argument that Paul has. The law covenant did have a purpose and it still does. It has a purpose and it brings people to the knowledge of their sinfulness of sin. And when it does that, then it should make one desire Jesus Christ, which is the promise that's found in the Old Testament. And Paul is really arguing in that in Genesis. From Genesis to Revelation, we get that argument. But Paul in Galatians, we see... And, of course, we always ask, how can one be right before God? And there are two ways that uh, really it boils down to. Either you earn it and be perfect, which Jesus showed you couldn't, and or you give, uh, you get righteousness that is given to you. And so that's a central doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, uh, which is uh, justification by faith. And so that's where we're at. And we continue on. We will be finishing here, Genesis, or Galatians. I did it again. It starts with a G. Galatians chapter 3 is where we're at. But we saw and have already proven that the law was designed to not save people. It was, uh, you know, people can be as meticulous as they can and, and think that they uh, can cover it completely. But we know that the law cannot justify. And by the way, it is the very character of God. The law gives us the very character, the nature of God. When you look at all those commands, it's really who He is and what He's about. But that law in itself does not justify. And it takes the work of Christ. Because the law does do something to us. It condemns us, right? And uh, Paul has been showing that. And it does show that we need to flee to Jesus Christ because that's the only place that uh, we can be and be safe. It's faith alone that, that gets us there. So in Galatians 3, we saw the first five verses, experience. The experience of salvation by faith. And the Galatians had experienced that. Then he used Scripture, Paul did, out of the Old Testament to prove that. Then he used Abraham as an example um, and of course, he's the father of faith. And then we saw last week is where the Mosaic Law never nullified the promise that was already given hundreds of years before to Abraham. And so it is still valid. 
And so that's really his argument. It sounds basic and simple, and, and it is. Uh, and like what we say, the law there is uh, to show people their sinfulness. Um, it's like a mirror. It doesn't show you that you're ugly. It just shows you that you are. <laughs> and that um, just shows us what, what is really here. Um, it has great purpose, doesn't it? Beautiful purpose. And it's to look to Jesus for life. He is our life. So in our text today, Paul takes this argument that he's been doing and he sticks another nail and he puts that hammer on it and puts it down. And so we think of that promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to send a Redeemer. Abraham, I'm going to send uh, the seed. Do you believe that? Yes, yes, I do. And God gave a promise. Abraham believed it. God said, that's all I ask. You're righteous. Wow. It's that simple, huh? It's too simple, right? But that's the way that God made it. That is so hard for people to grasp, though. It doesn't come into the natural mind. And so later on, uh, we know that people want to come into the church and complicate this matter by making up all kinds of rules. And that's exactly what Paul says, no, no, no. So there was a a period from Abraham on till there was the law. And of course, it's a great history lesson there, isn't it, of the Old Testament. And uh, now it comes to the point that there's a personal application here as uh, Paul addresses this. Um, Before faith, we were kept under the law. Before we believed. Now it's bringing it to us individually. What about us? Yeah, that was the Galatians. Yeah, that was the Old Testament. What about us? Same thing. Before the law, really we were held in bondage to that law. So there's a personal application that we have and it comes down to our own experience, doesn't it? What God has done. So, let's uh, turn to uh, Scripture in Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 23 through the rest of the chapter. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Let's pray. Father, we now want You to speak to us, each one of us individually and as to this body here, uh, that we would be empowered by Your Holy Spirit to understand these simple but deep, deep truths, eternal truths, and they, they would truly make an impact on our lives and that we can share it. In Jesus' name, Amen. But before faith came, we were in prison. We were in bondage. 
I was a slave to God's law. I was actually condemned by God's law. And so, once we were under the law, now for some people, it's on paper or it's on stone. We see that in the Old Testament. We see the Ten Commandments. To other people, that law is still there. It's in the conscience. There's still a law there. And it says that in Romans 1. In Romans 1.18. Here's the truth about this matter. What about those people who have never heard the Gospel? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. We could go on, but we'll stop there. Do you see that all people have been in that sense and the wrath of God is against them because they know about the Creator. They just put it back in their minds. They don't want God to be forefront. And so they do that. In chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Well, what about those people in Africa that have never heard or on on that island? For when Gentiles who do not have the law like the Jews had, do instinctively the things of the law. These not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Now, so when somebody says, yeah, but what about those people who've never heard the Gospel? Well, here it is. We just gave the answer. Paul gave it in Romans right there. And so anyway, uh, it's it's, uh, written in their hearts or in their conscience. Um, There's no escape from it. There's no escape from this. And so, the text is using some words here very briefly to describe this answer. Actually, to to introduce the answer. It says, before faith came, before we were believers, we can take that as um, definitely ones who um, were before Christ. there There was a law there. But the ones who believed like Abraham were saved. But before this all came, it finally came to fruition at the Messiah. Also individually, before faith came to us, to each one of us, we were kept in custody. Kept in custody. Kept in custody. Now think about that. You ever heard of being in custody? We were kept in custody. There's a protective power in that. Pictures a group of sentries, guards, guarding a town. And so they guard the residents of that town from 
certain parameters. They keep them from going out there. Uh, it's like a fortress. And in that fortress you have a group of people. And there are, even though they're in a, a captivity in a sense, that they have the walls, it's really there to ultimately protect them. It's interesting what Paul uses here. You ever heard of being in protective custody? You've heard of certain people that really didn't break a law. They, they're not criminals, but they are being held for their own protection. Now, the Greek is simply this. It has the idea of guarding. Okay, you say, well, how does this, how's this make sense? Before faith came, we were kept in custody under, under the law. Um, we know that a city was sealed to keep off uh, the uh, the enemy from coming in and, and from, from certain people escaping out for their, their own safety. There's no way to bust out of here, right? It's, it's so well guarded. So the law indeed protects us from going after other things, after ways that are outside eternal God. Now we might be looking and searching that in our minds, but to those who are of faith, look back and see how God was working even before faith came. And thank the Lord that that law was there um, instead of going out our own terms and never allowing the law to convict us. Um, The law is there to really drive us back into misery. (laughs) Uh, Yet, we can still be in that sin. One can maintain that sinful state. But there's a protection matter here when we do say this, when we're kept in custody under the law according to the Greeks. I just would bring that out and and then it should be magnified as we move on here. But um, it's a matter that should bring us at peace and to keep us from going even further and further into sin. What it does, it points to the Redeemer. The law is pointing to the Redeemer. It doesn't redeem us, but it's pointing there. It provides direction. It provides restraint, doesn't it? It did keep us from doing things that we could very well have done. You can say, well, I don't think I would have ever murdered anybody. Well, uh, you know, you look at people today and they're just average, normal people and they kill their relatives, they kill their wives, husbands, children, their parents, neighbors, uh, and, you know, I, even though we're hearing that more than ever before, we all could do that. And if we haven't done it physically, we know that Jesus said, yeah, you have murder in your heart. Even when you think a bad thought on somebody, when you have a hate for somebody, um, then you have murdered. So, the law keeps people under restraint. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that it kept us from being the thieves and that we could have been, or the murderers that we could have been, and on and on. But uh, we know that uh, we're restrained in, in that sense. And, and really, there would be no people alive today if there wasn't some kind of law. We would have destroyed ourselves long before. matter of fact, it wouldn't have made it past uh, Adam and Eve and, and their sons, right? <laughs> Man would destroy himself. And that's... Uh, it's amazing. Kept under custody under the law. Being shut up to the faith. Being shut up to the faith. Literally to be hemmed in. To be actually cooped up. Uh, so we have these kind of verbs here. To uh, be kept in custody. Uh, to be shut up. 
and sympathizing God's law and His commandments that keep people in prison with no escape. It's like being on death row. There's no hope to get out and all you're waiting for is to die. Because what does Romans 3.23 say? For the wages of sin is death. If the law has dominion over us, what does the law want to do? It wants to kill us. And so therefore we are sentenced to death. We are on death row. We are shut up. Matter of fact, if you back up into kind of the ending text that we did last week, but the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So, uh, the law uh, has already been stressed by Paul that it, uh, it does not contradict the promises of God. They're still there. Yeah. The law does not do and give us life. So anyway, we see what uh, the law is about. And uh, we know the day of faith came at dawn long ago in Abraham's promise. And the light shines into a dark prison, a dark dungeon. And Jesus, of course, says, Thy sins are forgiven thee. Go in peace. Why? Thank you, Lord. The law is like a stern jailer. Very stern. But you know what? All along, he actually was a good friend. The one who condemns us and wants to kill us is also a friend because of what he ultimately does as he drives us to Christ. He, The law prevents us from escaping to a very futile freedom. And that's why people go around saying they have freedom. They really don't, do they? So it says, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. I like that, later to be revealed. Don't you like that? Um, It's to be discovered or sought out. Uh, It was something outside of us. It was later to be revealed to us. It came from God. didn't come from us, right? The faith... The faith which was later to be revealed. The faith that He gave us. Then the next one is another key word there in verse 24. Therefore the law has become our tutor. And we briefly touched on this. Piatagagos. And it means a servant. A servant or a slave who is responsible to the master, the head of the house. And he is going to take care of his sons on behalf of the parents until they become of age. That's kind of the idea. Now you might have in your translation maybe even custodian, tutor. It's probably not the best word to be put in the English, so we'll try to expand on this a little bit. Um, It's like this servant who's not really necessarily the school teacher, right? But what he does is that he takes them from the nursery all the way up to manhood. There's a certain age that they would be considered uh, a young man. So they are to govern 
that child's behavior. They're to be around them. They are to actually, the word comes to mean discipline. There was a guy by the name of Timothy George, and uh, he prefers to transliterate this Greek term in uh, a way that's not so much that we've always heard for, you know, like the schoolmaster, the teacher, the guide, the custodian. But he says it's more the idea of a disciplinarian, one who was in constant companion of that child, always around them. And he has a responsibility to who he works for to watch over that child all the way into adulthood. What a responsibility. I thought it was the parents that were to raise and do that. Well, according to that time, if you had servants and slaves, you might have them to do that. So they had quite a job to discipline that child until he reached another realm of life there in his early teens. Um, Timothy George also went on to say that that word peadagogos was a common term not only for a disciplinarian, but one who carried a rod and he would whack the boys when they didn't conform. And so they didn't have Walmarts back then, so therefore it was okay to do. <laughs> the Catholic nuns. Right there on the desk, or maybe right there on the fingers, right? <laughs> Carolyn takes a deep breath. So it actually, the Piatagagos restrained a child from poor behavior. That's what they were to do. Also, there's a protection, a huge protection element in this because you go back to the Roman world and you had public bathhouses. <coughs> which you probably have heard of today. In the public bathhouses, you would have the homosexuals. And the homosexuals would do like what they do today, make advances on young boys. And so this Piatagagos would protect them from that. That's interesting, isn't it? There are ancient drawings where uh, one would have a cane or, or a rod for exercising very harsh discipline on that child. I'm sure it could go to extremes. Yeah, these Paotagagos, they were sinners just like anybody else. And you can imagine if they're not your own kids and you're supposed to discipline them, I'm sure it was pretty rough in a lot of cases. But the job that he had was temporary. And I'm sure the one, the kid that was underneath that Paotagagos, probably didn't appreciate that tutor. And, and and a brief definition, what I've always heard, and I had to go into it a little bit more deeper this time because I've used it so many times, I tried to say, well, what else does it mean? But they said that was the one who would take the child to school. Well, yeah, and then pick him up. But he would be around almost all the time in their early lives. And so we see what, what they did. But it was temporary because it would just take them to late adolescence. And then the child was freed from that peatagogos. Wouldn't you be glad of that? But um, later on, they would probably would have appreciated the discipline and the protection that a good tutor would have done for them. Leon Morris summarized this as Paul is saying that the law was not the teacher that makes clear the way of salvation. It was the leader which properly followed would bring those 
and lead them to Christ. The principal function of the law was not that of providing the way of salvation, but rather that of pointing to the Savior. Or I might say, the need of a Savior. So are we kind of getting the idea that law is a good thing? Although it's a thing that condemns us. Isn't that interesting that God would use that? Lead them to Christ. That's what it does. Look in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Because when we're led to Christ, look at this. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's really where the leader, that law, is to take us. That's what it's about. What a beautiful thought. The law just took us to Christ. Didn't give us those treasures, but took us there. <clears throat> and once we're there, we don't need the payout of Gagas anymore as far as um, having that need of Christ. He brought us there. Delivered us to the One who could save us. That's His purpose. And so it says it here at the end of verse 24. Laws become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. There it is. There's that grand doctrine again. We finished part one. That's under the law. Now we have come to the one who it's pointing to, what it's about. Verses 25 through 29 is about being in Christ. And there is no way that you can read this and not have some kind of excitement or some kind of chills down your spine because now we are in Christ, not under the law. We were not in Christ, then we became in Christ. We were under the law, now we're in Christ. No longer a tutor, it says. But now that faith has come, faith was given to us. We are no longer under a tutor. You don't always need the tutor. That's, that wasn't its purpose. Always that we were never um, meant to follow that tutor the rest of our lives. And the law served us till we were brought to Christ. What an important lesson. And of course, we know we still have a need for it. And of course, we have to uh, mention Luther. Uh, talked about the, the two cases of the law as far as the Christian is concerned uh, where it has to show us our sin and the very utter sinfulness of sin. But then on the other hand, then as Christians, then we want to do those good deeds because we love Christ. And so the law is a good thing then to Christians. Calvin uh, basically said the same thing. And we have uh, a civil law which man must have. Can you imagine a country without a law? Without some kind of rule? It's utter chaos. The country will not last. So you have to have some kind of form of government to, to govern people because of their sinfulness. And people will say well, it came from Habarabi and came from the Babylonian code and the Egyptian code and their laws. No, all their laws came from God. 
any laws that man have. They make up laws to protect themselves. They must because sinful man would destroy himself. So God was gracious in giving law, didn't He? It's a good thing. But faith has come. No longer do we labor under the tyranny of the law. So, anyway. Um, this really means something to us. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. That's what we preach. Does that mean something to us? Effectual grace? We can see the evidence of our faith. and This grace that God has given us, He made us new. No longer has dominion over us. But the Judaizers who had come to Galatia, and this is where we get back now to what was happening in this text, wouldn't let the law stop. This grace wasn't good enough. They had been under the discipline of the law so long. They're pointed to faith in Christ. They like that, but they want to hold on to that. And that's a false doctrine. So the faith had to be revealed. We know we are taught by God. Now, in our Galatians, this is just so exciting. It says in verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And what you'll see in the next few verses, in Christ, into Christ, in Christ. Sons of God. And Paul actually is... When you think of this, you think of adoption, right? We were adopted in the family of God. We are now children of God. We weren't before, so he had to adopt us in that. And make, make that legal. And Paul is not suggesting that our adoption into the family of God is the result of our believing. It's, it, you know, it's like, okay, we believe, now he's going to adopt us and bring us into the family. Now they have it, now I'm going to bring them in. And that is not the case, is it? We were adopted first. And then we have faith. We, we can trust in Him. It's the other way around, isn't it? Our faith in Christ is the result of our what? Our adoption. Adoption causes us to have faith. We are adopted by God before the world. And look at Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians. Very next book over. Chapter 1 and verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. You see, kids don't choose who their adopted parents are going to be. That's, a, that's why this is such a great word for this. 
they're at the very mercy of somebody coming in and adopting them. Or whenever people go to the pound and pick up a dog, it's not that the dog chooses who he wants to be the master, right? It's the other way around. That's the way it always is. That's what the word election is. The ones who are running for office don't choose just to get in there. No, the people choose. They elect who they want into office. So it was the very kind intention of His will that you guys would be children of God. It was His will. Very kind for God to do that. Why did He do that? What says the next verse in Ephesians? To the praise of the glory of His grace. So the gospel that we preach is the grace gospel which He freely bestowed on us. That's the idea of grace. It's free in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches. What does He own? Everything. According to His riches. Not out of His riches, but according to His riches. And that's why as we aim to the end of this chapter today, we inherit everything that Christ inherits. Incredible. Incredible. Our adoption was the cause of Christ's atonement and the Spirit's call. You used to be prisoners. You used to be little kids who had to have a payadagagas. And now you're grown up children of the Lord of the universe. And you are free sons. You've been set free. And it's all by faith. Now, uh, there was an idea of um, this thing whenever the tutor brought them to God. Uh, they, it's like they were now considered to be a part of that family. And by the way, whenever you had a Roman adoption, when they'd bring them in, they would cons- be considered to have full rights and full privileges, just like the natural-born children in that family, if they had any. So it's really very important to realize that... Um, as being adopted, who we really are. Child's, child of the King. Daughters of the King. Sons of the King. God says, I'm going to come down. I'm going to dwell with you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I will wipe away all the tears from your eyes. We inherit God. We will never be God. We will always be man in a glorified state and we inherit the very person of God. All that He is, all that He has, I like the part about who He is. See, that's what Christ inherits. That's why he, whenever He did that work and then of course He's restored back to joy and one of these days He'll bring the kingdom to God and all will be in all. Whatever is His, is mine. I can't fathom that. Matter of fact, there's a part of my humanness that doesn't even want to think about it. 
but it's the truth. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ, right? God is not up there saying, well, let's see. There are so many units here. Each one is Christian, is Christian, is Christian. One for you, one for you, one for you. Here's a bunch for Christ. Here's one for you, one for you. Here's a bunch more for Christ. All that Christ is, we inherit. All of it. Unbelievable. All Everything is given to Christ. He is the seed. But why is it that I kept saying all of it is ours? It's Christ. It's because we are in Him. And that's what Paul is stressing now. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Look at Galatians 4. And we'll be there sometime, won't we? Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Boy, that's what happened. Just in a few verses, did you see what happened there? Lots of doctrine. Look in Romans chapter 8, next book from after uh, Acts. In Romans 8, verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Suffering is now. Suffering is this time that we live on in this earth, but there is a glorification that will happen. But he's stressing children who are heirs, adopted, and to be that close to Him. You know, we're going to inherit glory. You ready for this? What's the ultimate that we're going to inherit? I think of 1 John. Chapter 3, starting at verse 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. Can we really say that? Is it okay to say this? For this reason, the world does not know us. Because it did not know Him. 
<coughs> Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Right now, we don't exactly know what this all means and is. We know it's going to happen. Then he says this, We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. We will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. We'll see the ultimate. We'll see His glory. And we too will be glorified. That's an amazing teaching coming from the Apostle John who was a beloved one as he called himself that. And he says here, what kind of love is this? We cannot comprehend it in our human capacity. But one day we see. We live by faith, not by sight. But I'm telling you what, that's excitement, isn't it? That's the ultimate inheritance to be like Christ. That's why we focus on Christ all day long, every day. Because we're going to be like Him. It says in Romans chapter 8. Now that's good stuff there. Romans 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Why did He predestine us? To become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the preeminent One among you. We'd be able to glorify Him much more than what we're even doing here this morning. To the ultimate supreme glorification. We're limited in our giving glory to God here and worshiping Him. We do the best we can in this sinful flesh. We come short, but yet He works on us and every week we should be getting better and becoming more like Christ. But one day we will be there. That's why He predestined us in the first place to be conformed to that image. Back in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, I think we'd read it earlier. At the end of verse 4, the reason He chose us for the foundation of the world is that, that we would be holy and blameless. Who's the one that came here and completed and fulfilled the law perfectly? Absolute righteous. That was Christ. Absolute holiness. Absolute perfection. Blameless. And that's the reason why He's doing what He's doing with us now. Someday, we will be there. That's being like Christ, right? He doesn't want anything short of that and it will not be anything short of that. Without sin at that time, it will just be something that's hard to grasp a hold of, isn't it, right now? And in the meantime, as we go back to our Galatians passage, says we were baptized into Christ. Baptized 
into Christ. To as many as received Him, He, came, he be, gave the right to become children of God. To all those who would believe in Him. Hebrews 2.10 says, It became Him, that's Christ, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory. We inherit the glory. And, and He does that by baptizing us. It's dry here. No water. He immersed us. That's the idea of baptizo. To immerse. He immersed us into Christ. He placed us into Christ. All those who received. To put on Jesus Christ. Be baptized in Him. You've been placed, immersed into. Romans chapter 6. Verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? You died with Him. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And that's why you have that beautiful picture of one going down into the water, being immersed to be placed into that, that as you died, as you were buried, and then you come back out of it. That's why sometimes people use that illustration in Romans 6. But there it's talking about the spiritual baptism. But that's why the outward baptism is so important because it showed what happened to us. Just like in the Lord's Supper when we have communion. It showed you know, who Christ is and what He did. Those are little picture illustrations of what happened to us as uh, individuals and, and as a body. Whenever He was buried, I was there with Him. And then whenever He arose, I was there with Him. I'm in union with Jesus Christ. I wasn't even born at the time. though. How does that play out? I don't, I don't know. That's a mystery. I can't tell you, but somehow, some way, according to this, it was like whenever he had paid for our sins, we we died there too. But in time and in place is where we had faith and we placed the faith in him and trusted in that sacrifice. Being clothed with Christ, baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, the baptism robes or the robes of righteousness, uh, back at that time, there were to, as far as the Romans were concerned, they thought it was kind of like a bar mitzvah. Uh, came a, a little bit later for a, a Roman young man. Uh, he would go through a time whenever he had reached the age. Uh, it was a time of toga virilis, which implied a robe and vitality. It was a ceremony. A young man had reached the age of manhood and he was given this robe for all to see. He now had full citizenship. He had the rights and the responsibilities that came with it. And no longer is he to be treated like a child. That was the kind of clothing that um, Paul would have been referring to, only now we have the spiritual clothes. And it's like an armor that's been surrounded us. It's like we've been put into Christ. Uh, ourselves, our sinful selves now are invisible because we are placed into Christ 
And so when, when God the Father looks at us, He sees us in Christ, even to this day, even now. Invisible to God. You were robed with Christ. You were clothed with Him. Amazing. That's an extraordinary unity that we have with Jesus Christ, isn't it? Placed into Him. And then not only that, but it talks about having the unity with other believers in this body now. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, he's not saying there's no Jews or Greeks anymore, because there are. I mean, they're out there. But he's saying in the body of Christ, we don't pay attention to racial barriers. Those have been knocked down. Or he's not saying that there's not slaves or free people anymore, because that does happen. Or male or female, or certainly better be described as that, right? That's what the world would like, that there would be no sexes. It's just all unisex and everything. God made man and, and female. But he's saying they're equal now. It's, you know, they are all one in Christ. Equality. There's not one over another. You're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no upper or lower levels in the body of Christ. You have different roles, but you have the same sense, the same unity as anybody else. Say, well, I can't compare to that preacher on the radio. Oh, yes. You're equal with him. Um, There are no respecter of persons as far as God is concerned. Everybody has different roles. Some people may be more visible than others, but don't count yourself as a little peon because you're all the same in Christ, although you're your own individual. No differences in our privileges, in our acceptance with God. We have the same acceptance. Did you know that God loves you just as much as He loved the Apostle Paul? Take it one step further. God loves you as much as He loves His Son, Jesus Christ. And by the way, His love never changes. It's not like, well, your performance wasn't quite so good today. He still loves you, but not quite like He did yesterday. It's always the same amount of love, which is, what kind of love is that? How much is that? It's an eternal love. It's, it's beyond our comprehension. Uh, that's incredible. We are one with every believer. Romans chapter 10. Been going there quite frequently today, haven't we? As we get ready to bring this to a close here. Romans 10 verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches, abounding in riches, for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There you go. You can look in other places where it talks about being one in Christ. How about the heirs of the promise? Let's finish with that. Verse 29, And if you belong to Christ, belong. He owns you. I like that thought, don't you? He owns you. I'm glad I don't own myself. Be in big trouble. Then you, 
are Abraham's descendant. Remember whenever he first started using Abraham way back at the first part of this chapter? Brings it to a close. Abraham is the father of the faith of, as far as and he was also a picture to, to the Jews, no father, but the, that promise that had come to him, that covenant. You are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So in that sense, we're children of Abraham because we have the same faith that he had. God gave him that faith And He gives it to us today. Thousands of years later, we become heirs of all the promise that we are in Jesus Christ. You go back to Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul uses that here in Galatians. Paul uses it in Romans chapter 4. uses Abraham, uses David. It is accounted to them as righteousness. Just believing God. Believing God. A beatific beauty is just incredible. Um, look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1, 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. You've been qualified for something? He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Everything is found in Christ Himself. Everything. You're looking for something, you find it in Christ. You're looking for some satisfaction. Revelation 21, verse 7. Before that, he just said, I'm Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. I'll give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. These things, if you look back further at the first part of this chapter, he talks about dwelling among men and dwelling among us. We're His people. God will be among us. He'll wipe away every tear. No mourning, no crying, no pain. All of these have passed away. Now there are new things. And He says, the one who overcomes. Who's the overcomer? The believer. The one who believes. The overcomer is the one who trusts in God. Just trusting. Trusting in Him. We will live with Him forever. We are the sons of the living God. Amen? Amen. Fellow heirs, it's a privilege to be serving by your side. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for making us children the sons of God. And keep conforming us like we know You will. Help us to be obedient to You by Your Word or Your Law because it is now sweet to us. 
does not demand our lives anymore as far as death is concerned. But now we have a new love for God, the perfect fear, and we have a love for our neighbor. You have placed that into us. And what a supernatural work it is. And thank you for doing this long before the world ever began. And thank you for coming into this time period and making it happen to our lives because our lives continue on to glorify you. And may we do that the rest of this day and for eternity. In your Son's name, Amen.